You're listening to 17 Karat K-Pop. For more information about the variety of topics covered on the show, as well as my other podcast, How to Stand, visit 17karatkpop.weebly.com. And if you enjoy this episode, please consider becoming a monthly donor to support my work and allow it to continue to go on and be free for all to access for as low as 99 cents a month. Visit the support the show link on my site's homepage for more information. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a very special episode of 17 Karat K-Pop. It is finally time at long last for me to share my guide to Joel and Sai with the world. My Mandopop queen and your new favorite artist. What makes her so special? How her decades-long career says so much about her, her character, her music video world, her lyrics, her impact. I really look up to her, and I am ready to explain why. So let's dive in by starting with a few quick facts about Jolin Tsai. Jolin Tsai is an artist from Taiwan. She is mainly a singer and dancer. She's also done a bit of acting here and there. She used to have a clothing line. She's also a model, has been a spokesperson for many, many brands. She's been in the top 20 of Forbes China's Celeb 100 list six different times. She's won six Golden Melody Awards. She frequently gets the title for most album copies sold by a female solo C-pop artist of the year in Asia. Or if not for Asia as a whole that year, at least in Taiwan, she's also the GMA's most awarded female mandopop artist, period, throughout the show's history. She currently has 4.2 million Instagram followers. I could go on and on, which I will, in chronological order. Let's go back to 1998, when she was just 18 years old and still in high school. She won an MTV Mandarin singing competition show. She beat out over 3,000 other contestants to get that role by singing Greatest Love of All by Whitney Houston. The following year, 1019, her debut album came out after the first single, Living with the World, came out in July. 1019 ended up selling 400,000, almost half a million copies, in Taiwan alone. She had a record deal with Universal Music Taiwan, and she was dubbed the teenage boy killer, because she really did win the hearts of boys and I'm sure many women all over the world. This rock star year for her, 1999, when all of this was happening for her music career, was also somehow the year she made time to get her major in English literature. Since that first big year for her in 1999, every year Jolin has been making moves and on a nearly yearly basis, has released yet another new album. Remember, her 1999 album sold 400,000 copies in Taiwan alone. Her next album the following year, Don't Stop, sold 450,000. Although later that year, she also released Show Your Love, which only sold 260,000 and was largely panned by critics. Then her album sales were down to 150,000 mid-2001 for her album Lucky Number. But the thing is... That was a time where she was with this sub-label, basically, D-Sound. And there was this long legal battle. Her dad sued the company. A suit was settled, and Jolin had to pay, actually, the company $9 million in New Taiwan dollars. It was a big bump in the road. The press attention focused on the lawsuit certainly took a toll on album sales. But she was back to making headlines one calendar year later when she signed with Sony Music Taiwan. 
and then released a collab with a very famous artist, Jay Chu, Spirit of the Night. At this time, around 2001-2002, it was not confirmed confirmed, but it was kind of an open secret that Jolin and her collaborator Jay Chu were dating. The tabloids were kind of a buzz about this, especially because Jay was seen cheating on her and they broke up. Then in June 2010, they finally reunited. They had had hard feelings throughout the decade in between breaking up and June 2010 when Jolin made a surprise guest appearance during a Jay Chu concert. A month after that surprise appearance, she was talking openly on TV about her relationship, admitted she loved him, but had lost her trust in him. It was very emotional. In addition to general personal life changes, she also underwent some major changes musically. In 2003 was a huge, huge shift for her, when her pivot to dance pop was in full, full effect. She released the album Magic, which sold over 360,000 copies in Taiwan alone, and 1.5 million in Asia overall. It also earned her her first Golden Melody Award. Magic was truly magic. It really was a special release for her and symbolized that just a handful of years after she really stepped out onto the scene, she was already ready to switch up her image and change how people perceive Mando Pop and C-Pop overall. It may seem like it's not risky to release dance pop music, but that's in the Western market. In China, you've got to be at least part of the time a ballad singer. Those more dramatic OST-ready songs are your big ticket to success. And dance pop wasn't really, at the time, mainstream at all. It was actually kind of the opposite. It was like the pop punk of its time there, where popularizing dance pop there was actually something you had to put effort into doing. People just, it was, it was something very new for them. But they, over time, really started loving it. Probably in part due to Madonna's global impact. You can tell with Jolin's stage presence and wardrobe and performances, the Madonna influences are strong. You get why she might be called the Madonna of Asia. She's obviously her own person. I don't want to get too caught up in comparing her, but I'm just saying she's overtly cited Madonna as one of her influences, and it shows in positive ways, of course. She's made similar waves in the industry over the years, another topic we will get to in a second. And speaking of the Madonna connection, in September of 2003, Jolin helped translate a kid's book that Madonna wrote into Chinese, The English Roses. Early in 2004, her next album came out called Castle, which sold over 300,000 copies in Taiwan alone and over 2 million in Asia overall. That summer, she started her first big tour, the J1 World Tour. 2005 was the year of her album, J Game, which sold fewer copies in Taiwan than Castle had, but it also once again sold 2 million in Asia overall. It's interesting the timing how, in 2003, Jolin really started making extra waves with magic, and then three years later, she also had a big career-defining moment where she gained tons of admirers, and that was with the release of her new album, Dancing Diva, which sold around the same amount of copies that J-Game had the year prior in Taiwan. But that previous album sold 2 million copies in Asia overall. Dancing Diva then rose to 2.5 million copies. This album especially gave her 
newfound attention and admiration for showing her performance skills. She did rhythmic gymnastics as part of her routines, especially this one stellar rhythmic routine she performed at MTV Asia's awards that year, really started standing out for her just incredible skill. Seeing that potential in her probably helped her sign to EMI Music Taiwan that year as well. 2007 was a big movie year for her, plus just another iconic year because that was when she actually recorded vocals on the Asian edition of a Kylie Minogue album. Jolin's vocals are featured on one version of In My Arms. In terms of films that year, that was the year she released her first tour documentary and Agent J. Agent J was a movie that corresponded with the release of an album of the same title. An album which sold 2.5 million copies in Asia overall once again. Agent J starred and was narrated by Jolin herself. It was a three-part movie with the plot basically boiling down to Jolin going to Paris with her boyfriend, where she gets kidnapped, brainwashed, there are people hunting her down, she can be freed from prison if she commits this assassination, there's lots of violence, shooting, undercover cops, it's a big action-packed movie, but it's also a romance story. Fun fact, the album Asian J actually had its name changed in mainland China to Love Mission. Although 2008 was not as big of a year for her musically, it was the year she both got a special recognition from the Ministry of Labor in Taiwan and the year she signed with Warner Music Taiwan. So by this point, about 11 years into her career, she had signed at one point with each of the big three global music labels, Universal, Sony, and Warner. Three huge things happened for her in 2009. She launched a fashion label called 72 Changes, which is a nod to a lyric from Magic. This was a huge year because she took full charge of her career from there on out. Instead of bouncing around to different companies, signing deal after deal, she found a home now by founding her own company. She created Eternal, a music production and management company, along with her manager. And honestly, I think all of her best work came after that. Her early day work I like too, of course, but it really became next level impressive production, video quality, performances, etc. when she started taking full control of her career decisions. She really just has a knack for what's iconic and what makes for great music, unique music, all of that. Thematically, 2009 is when she released Butterfly, which was very complimentary to that big pivotal song and album, Magic. In Magic, she sings about turning over a new leaf, and she changes outfits again and again and again and again. And then in the Butterfly video, She's not changing outfits again and again and again, but the theme is still in force that she's ready to escape her cocoon now as a transformed artist. She also enforces this message again that she did in the Magic song, because in that song she comments goodbye ugly duckling, and in Butterfly she further implies that clothes can make the woman, and that femininity is a state of mind, a conscious act, not just some inherent trait you define your look however you want to define it. Shirley expresses her individuality and personal style in the video. She's also got this gorgeous floral corset outfit. It's such an iconic video. So at this point in her career, we've already seen her win awards and accolades, and she also has shown us 
all the ways she can reinvent herself. She's already been a pirate at this point, a butterfly, the girl next door, and she continues to reinvent herself. The corresponding music videos to the Butterfly album are very, very funny in the year 2021 because it's kind of like, in the best way, I think it's cute, but it has very much PlayStation 1 or PlayStation 2 level graphics. Very, very kind of corny CGI. Like in the Pirates video where she is sword fighting this digital avatar, her cartoonish amulet falls off her but comes flying back onto her neck at one point. She walks on the ocean. She's literally walking on water at one point. Then there's her fantasy world in the video for fantasy, which has Ken doll-like dudes on motorcycles, bright pink Barbie-style rooms, a pink forest, lots of quirky, bright, and colorful settings. The Real Man video has her in this disco room. She basically creates her version of a real man by using 3D images, technology to put the pieces together and build him from scratch. It's just very, very quirky. She really does look physically a bit different in each of her videos. So it really is like a different person each time she releases a video. So it makes for basically fun mini movie viewing. The fact that she sells these concepts is just an attest to her artistry and passion that she gives every performance. She really treats each video with a lot of intent, attention to detail, and sincerity, blending some deeper messages about embracing who she is with super over-the-top, less serious graphics and settings. This mix of admirable traits continued into 2010 when she released Myself. That album only sold 65,000 copies in Taiwan alone, but I personally think it was even better than Butterfly. She reinvented herself yet again for Myself. That was definitely her kind of Hyuna-esque era. The Madonna influences stayed strong. She's voguing a lot in the video for Honey Trap, which was nominated for a GMA that year, by the way. What I love about that album is not just that it really goes off, it's such a great dance pop album mixed with a few more somber songs, but that each part of it tells a story and interludes help transition from song to song, so you can really picture in your head as you're listening to it, the party scenes, the phone call scenes, etc. And I love when a track list just tells a story on its own. You've got love player, secret talk, party star, and then let's start the dance. Later on she has love is gone, real hurt, let's break up, I love you. Her conflicted feelings over a relationship, you get that meaning of the album just from the track list. She began her Muse era in 2012, and her album copies in Taiwan rose back up to 100,000. Muse is my third favorite Jolin album, which might not be saying much, but she has so much content that it actually is saying a lot. Jolin, you could tell, really fully embraced her love for literature and art, and put her degree in the literature to good use. She really just, through this comeback, showed an appreciation for storytelling, and very elaborate storytelling. Jolin said about this album, quote, The album combines art, pop, and music to portray how a girl should act and stand out in modern society, unquote. How a girl should act, but then you see in all the videos, she subverts expectations. The song Muse, aka The Great Artist, tells the story of learning that 
You are your own artist. You don't need this dude to tell you who to be. Even if he lavishes you with praise that leaves you love-struck. That's nice, but you don't need it. You can be your own artist, your own muse. Because remember, he's kind of using you when he refers to you as a muse. So she questions that relationship. With lyrics like, he pretends good in front of you, he becomes bad behind you, no, 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 never stop, he just wants more Barbies. Wake up, you are the great artist. You don't love him as much as you imagined. You don't have to tolerate his absence of mind. You give him the color disc to make his betrayal. I think my favorite line is, the great artist can create love renaissance again. Basically saying, hey, you're the great artist and I just listed all the reasons why you are your own best muse. You can create a love renaissance again. Don't worry about leaving this dude, because although ditching him might also cause you to ditch certain privileged opportunities that being doted on and other things, you will miss when you dump him. But you have the power to create your own love renaissance, powerful presence of love. You have the power to create your own artwork now once you free yourself. It's a cool full circle song because it starts with the line, Love will be your muse, and ends talking about how you're creating a love renaissance. It's basically an inverted way to get to the point about self-love being important. And further talking about how to make peace with who you are on the inside while acknowledging the superficial nature of your outer world and the people in it is the song Dr. Jolin with lyrics like Paris Fashion Week. Everyone is lonely and collecting fake smiles. Whoever needs a soul after the taste of revelry. Yet every inch of numb nerves is filled with scars. Then she goes on to sing about a love potion, a happiness potion, etc. as Dr. Jolin. The videos, I think, really help summarize why these songs are so powerful to me. In Muse, aka The Great Artist, it's a Cinderella-type plot where she goes to the ball, but instead of the typical plot, Prince Charming gets swept up, totally fixated by these giant mechanical structures that he's controlling with CGI 3D screens in front of him. He's basically using this futuristic technology to generate a perfect couple out of robotic parts. So everyone's not falling in love and dancing at this ball. They're all just watching in amazement as he puts together a computerized version of the perfect couple. And then you have Dr. Jolin, which features Jolin with hot pink hair and looking at one level like a professional doctor, pencil skirt and blazer and stuff. But underneath she has this leather spike covered bra. She's taking care of a pregnant man. It's just not at all what you thought you would watch. So what she's doing in both of these videos is taking a seemingly predictable or conventional story and flipping it on its head, asking what if? What if this story was told totally differently in this way? How do people react to this new version? And what does it say about them more than what it says about me? Both of these songs and videos have these very extravagant, over-the-top quirky visuals to go with them. She's creating this alternate kind of Lady Gaga-esque universe going for her. But as she does that, the absurdity of it all is kind of a way to just distract from the subliminal messaging about this is all just a show. I'm the great artist putting on this great show for you all. When at the end of the day, let's also talk about self-love, inner strength, and what you need at the end of the day to handle 
liars, cheaters, deceivers, people who will be shallow and do you wrong in life. Life lessons told at the most unexpected times in the most bizarre circumstances makes for a very effective message, I think. It leaves the audience so attentive, hanging on her every move to watch her both reinvent herself and keep sharing this message. Her elaborate music video universe just has so many sub-worlds in it. She's created a whole galaxy, and on each planet is this sort of a whole different musical world. Key to her main messages, while still very out-of-this-world quirky, she continues to ruffle feathers and not care about it by doing things quote-unquote unbecoming of women. She acts like a super-powerful beast in the video for Beast. She comes alive, and her eyes are glowing bright. She's the superhuman that emerges out of a sea of red glitter. There's the song, Spying on You Behind the Fence, where she is basically playing the role of the expected creepy dude, but in a really absurd way, in a wonderland of sorts, with oddly sized objects, 3D graphics, it's a whole thing, hard to explain. Basically the whole album is about, I embrace my artistic vision, and no one else can recreate this vision. Again, the track list seems to tell a story a bit too, because the album starts with Muse, aka The Great Artist, and at the end of the album is I. Just the letter I. So it's basically her saying, The Great Artist is I. November 2014. Jolyn made tons of waves again, for all the right reasons. She released Play, and I am so back and forth torn over if this is my favorite Jolyn album, because it's either this or Ugly Beauty. We'll talk more about that in a second, but man, this is this might be my favorite. It is so high quality. It's so incredibly rich. The music from start to finish has so many layers to it. It continues to show this incredible evolution of Jolin's sound. It's got songs that are super just dance pop, like Medusa and I'm Not Yours. But then you have very intense songs that sound like they set the scene for the rising action in a movie. Gentlewoman is a very dramatic start to the album. This album mixes pop with some gothic horror. It's really unique. And you see that gothic horror especially in Miss Trouble. Then things actually make a surprising turn for the sentimental towards the end of the album. It's quite a journey. Experimental doesn't even begin to cover it. Play was the most viewed music video in Taiwan that year. And was very camp-y. It was very in the vein of Katy Perry, Lady Gaga, very, very, very bright and colorful and unexpected. Time Magazine actually said it might be the best, but also the weirdest pop video of the year. This album got 10 different GMA nominations. She also then performed Play at the Mamas in 2015, and she won Best Asian Artist that year. Oh, side note, 2014 was also the year she judged the sinning show Rising Star. That was a massive year for her. Combined with her judging and this stellar new album, Jolin's net worth surpassed $2 billion in New Taiwan Dollars. The next year, she started the Play World Tour, her first team up with Live Nation. Back to talking about this album, because we have got to talk about its music videos. Some of the videos were just the campy stuff that I already talked about. Then you have one where she's totally dominating, totally in charge in the video for Gentlewoman, she flips the script and makes a man for his audition. 
strip down and dance for her. And she orders him around. In the video for Medusa, she's got this cool hoop skirt, you know, the big cage thing women used to wear under big fancy dresses. And the hoop skirt doubles as a cage that traps a bunch of men in it. She also is seen in that video stuck in a bunch of black rope, but she's also kind of steering her way through it. Like she's harnessing the harnesses. She has male servants hand her goblets and stuff, sits on a throne with her crown. It's also just quite mesmerizing for its kaleidoscope, optical illusion type visuals. A similarly visually remarkable video is her collab with Nami Amuro, I'm Not Yours, which just makes you smile for them from start to finish. Those girls just rock out. They use this magic power to control all of the dudes at the party with the simplest of gestures. A touch here and there, or even just a steely gaze is enough to leave them in pain. Some of them turn into horses. It's a whole bizarre thing. They're in this spooky town with wolves and stuff. Just the CGI is really fun. It's totally cinematic, and shout out to my favorite catchy lyric in that song, mirror, mirror on the wall, boys are stupid, let them fall. So in play, you had basically three subcategories of videos. You had the campy stuff, like the song play, Phony Queen as well, which was a theme song, and also the video features her on, like, a dating show, but with guys that don't appear in the flesh, they just appear on the giant phone screen that sits beside her on the couch. It's really, really unexpected. The second main category of videos is just this super fierce, take charge, empowered set of videos about owning her power. Then there are her more slow, sentimental songs. Like, we're all different, yet the same. This video actually got banned in Singapore, not because it's violent or anything, but just because it features a same-sex kiss. In the video, Jolin ends up marrying another girl. Jolin is straight. And as a straight woman myself, it's not really my place to say if she is promoting her message of allyship in a good way or not by doing what some people might term queer baiting in the video. Not my place to say if that was good or bad. But I will just say, keep in mind that freedom of speech is not the same in certain parts of the world. So it actually is quite bold of her and takes courage for her to say she's an ally. And so I would argue that just from my perspective, I see it as this video does a lot more help than harm for Taiwan specifically, for Asia, where same-sex marriage is not legal everywhere. For them to see a super normal looking wedding with a couple that just happens to be gay. I do think the message still is really important. And she's continued to show her allyship and gratitude for the LGBTQ plus community, a rarity to be so publicly supportive of them as a C-pop artist. But she thanks them and says, you know, I wouldn't be the artist I am today without their support. She has a big following of particularly gay male fans. Jolyn has actually won an award for her allyship at the Asia LGBT Milestone Awards. Her song Bravo played at Taiwan's Pride Parade and this is really important to stop and talk about for a second. During her Play World Tour, Jolyn featured a short film and had her audience watch this mini documentary, a true story about a boy who was showing feminine tendencies. His teachers were so mad they called his parents, said schedule an appointment with a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist said, of course, there's nothing wrong with him, but he was bullied a lot by homophobic people at school. Now I'm going to try to keep the graphicness of his story at a minimum, but I am going to say what happened to him. So trigger warning about homophobic violence and blood. 
Ye Yen Chin, a 15-year-old, left class one morning to go to the bathroom. He was found lying in a pool of blood five minutes later. He had been beaten that badly by his bullies. He died later at the hospital. To add insult to injury, the school actually just told his mom he died of heart disease. They tried to not take responsibility for his death on campus. They just cleaned up the blood and didn't even file a police report. His mom now has her life's mission being combating homophobia, looking out for kids like hers. The documentary does feature a bit of her speech from a Pride event, very, very passionately told. It truly is such a heartbreaking video to watch, but so important to get how real this violence can be. Two years after this young boy's death, in part due to his death and the awareness raised about this issue, Taiwan finally passed the Gender Equity Education Act. And six years of appeals later, three school administrators finally were convicted with negligent homicide. This boy was nicknamed Rose Teen or the Rose Boy, and his story has repeatedly been brought up not just in that tour documentary, but in Joel and Son's as well, overtly and in more indirect ways. She always sings about how we will never forget his story and to learn from it and try to make the world a safer, more inclusive place. Jolyn really does view her music as having such a greater purpose than just being good to listen to. But she views her platform as coming with a lot of responsibility that she takes very seriously. She said about her decision to be such a staunch ally, quote, People on the fringes of society are very rarely encouraged. Every singer actually aspires to convey love through their performances or songs, rather than simply talk about falling in love, unquote. In other words, if a bunch of artists are going to sing about love songs, they better sing not just about the cutesy falling in love stuff, but about those who want to love and feel like they can't, or they need someone to verbally give permission for them to love, or they need tips on self-love. But the bottom line is, love, love, love. Jolene's song title pun, not really intended. So her play era was not just a testament to her incredible production skills, her incredible skill at just directing her own career and telling really powerful stories in ways both fun and silly and ways very, very serious. So many layers in this album. And that layered quality definitely persisted in her 2018 album, probably my favorite if not play, Ugly Beauty. It was at Christmas of 2018, actually, which was also around the time she re-signed a deal with Sony Music Taiwan, and then she went on the Ugly Beauty tour December 2019. She had to take a few months off due to COVID, but Taiwan actually really clamped down on COVID right away, so she actually, after a few months of quarantines or whatever, got to go back out there and fill arenas and finish the tour, at least in Taiwan. And boy, the visuals are incredible. All the live performances, the special guests, thank goodness some of the live performances are on YouTube because man, I have FOMO looking at those videos. Anyway, she really brings the story to life on this Ugly Beauty tour. It kind of takes you through the album's world, song to song. Fun fact real quick before I forget to mention it, 2019 was also the year that Jolyn became a mentor on Idol Producer the same season as The Eight from Seventeen. Just a fun fact about two people I hold in such high regards. Anyway, back to talking about this incredible album. With this album, from the title alone, you could probably guess this subject matter. To be honest, I really became a super fan 
and really discover Joel and Sai's music right around the time this album came out. So I was late to the party, but I'm so glad I'm here. And I've really just spent the past few years so in love with all of her music and storytelling. But what really gripped me and pulled me into superfan status was the video for the song Ugly Beauty. It really hit me in a personal way to watch Joel and basically in the video, she plays both the prisoner and the judge and the prosecutors are arguing that Jolyn deserves jail time because she her crime is not meeting society's beauty standards. And so throughout the video, a different Jolyn playing like 10 different roles in this video is her own worst enemy. The mean Jolyns tell the nice Jolyns what to eat and what not to eat, how she really looks, they view her as really ugly, and she's basically talking down to herself. But by the end of the video, prisoner Jolyn, who's on trial, basically gets her revenge. I won't spoil the ending, but she basically hugs the judge, convinces the judge this should not be a crime in the first place, and I'm guessing got off the hook then. <laughs> it was so powerful though to watch her for the first time, watch this video, and watch her shove naysayers out of her way. In this case, herself. I also was really struck by the scene where she plays both the puppeteer and herself as the puppets on the strings in some sort of ballet. Just for very personal reasons I won't get into, really this video really affected me and I really appreciate it. There's so many great lyrics in this song, I'm just gonna kind of skip around quoting them. Lurking evil has always been around me. I've grown up with little support from society, but those traumas nourished me and made me tough. Those comments condemning the ugly and idolizing the beautiful, they make me laugh to tears. Survival of the fittest, who are you to judge? Self-loving, self-loathing, self-negating. My external self reflects my internal self. Who dares to set the standards of beauty? Who are you to say wrong or right, beautiful or ugly? If you ask me, I would say I'm insanely beautiful. Hurt me as you may, defame me as you may, I don't care. Being too polite to people can take a negative toll on the soul. Positive and negative energy. I've taken them all in. Beauty and ugliness are both necessary. I don't care if you love me or hate me. Save your disingenuous hugs. Getting along tactfully. The soul is pulling each other. It's between a rock and a hard place. Consume all the positive and negative energy. If you want to live and shine, it's necessary to respond to your inner evil. What this song really is about to me is not just criticizing society's stupid made-up beauty standards on women especially, but also this sense that to understand your own inner shadows, the fact you are your own worst critic, and to really understand that mean voice in your head telling yourself you're not good enough, understanding that is just as important as understanding what makes you happy and what positive thoughts you tell yourself. So she really talks about the complex coinciding, ironically coinciding emotions people live with. Continuing that theme on this album, is the song Necessary Evil? Lyrics like, I chant in a low voice with tears, regardless of positive or negative, kind or evil, right or wrong, motivational positive energy, is utter BS. Under the evil, the jealousy is secretly embracing my inner weakness. People are not willing to let themselves suffer. They only want to get along with positive thinking. All these years, I didn't know that overexerting myself doesn't mean I'm tough. Allow me to like my imperfection, bringing it everywhere. These lyrics follow two tracks at once. One train of thought is 
more critiquing society's perfectionist standards for people that makes people overwork, feel like they constantly have to overcompensate for their shortcomings, makes imperfection seem awful. The other train of thought at the same time seems to be buying into what society's saying. She describes it as this inner evil that still exists within her admittedly, and how she's toughening herself up, and she can grit her teeth and get through the pain and keep overworking. This really also hit me this song because that tug of war in my head is a thing I've dealt with too throughout my life. This sense of give yourself a break versus know you need to work harder, reconciling those messages in your head is a constant struggle. And that's ultimately what the whole album is about, reconciling conflicting thoughts and emotions in your head. The album ends with Shadow Self, which I interpret as her talking to herself, like she would a loved one. So she starts out with songs about really criticizing herself while acknowledging she shouldn't be doing that. But then that self-awareness turns into actual action towards being actively kind to herself by the end of the album with Shadow Self, where she has lyrics like, Let's remain back to back. A cheeky way to reference your shadow. My dear, have you slept? Thank you for staying with me. Read my text when you wake up. Things like that. And I think she's talking about her shadow herself, like she would a lover. Life sucks is a song that is quite a mood. The literal title actually translates to goodbye passive, which means it kind of refers to just letting fate happen instead of actively trying to have a certain outcome in life, just letting the chips fall where they may. And that's what the song's really about, with lyrics like, don't want to wake up, don't want to sleep. It's fine to be negative sometimes, it prepares you for a longer journey ahead. Being passive for a little while is nice. Life is like a roller coaster. I don't want to fake laugh. Gloomy face is fine. Need to meditate and collect my thoughts. Destiny's baffling. That's such a mood. Although by the end of the song, she's saying, basically, get back up there. You took your recharge time. Now let's get up and face the world. And hopefully you have recharged and cleared your mind now. She also paraphrases a proverb in this song. The saddest thing is when you lose the hope or the will to fight. The video follows a predictable story then. We see people from tons of different walks of life all lying down in their various settings. On the basketball court, on a couch at home, even one guy's on the toilet. They are just in every setting, but they're all just lying there wanting to stay in this vegetative state. But by the end of the song, they all get up and are ready to face the day with Jolyn leading the pack. Before I get to the lighter, just more fun and playful tracks on the album, I do want to share some lyrics from Vulnerability. Couldn't find a suitable stream to store the pain falling from my eyes. We secretly fight for the candy named Superiority. Both of us were passing the buck, kicking the ball named Lonely. If I don't have wounds, can it be considered a nice accomplishment? Who will praise me? If I don't have wounds, I don't have to concern myself with whether my courage will leave me. Can't worry about losing your courage if you never had it, is basically what she's saying. Just really definitely a raw, honest portrayal of the mind of someone with tons of self-doubt, who feels the urge to steal the candy name superiority in society, who feels like comparing to others. All right, now for some fun. Sweet Guilty Pleasure. That song is probably one of her best ever. The direct translation is actually Sweet Secret. The piece of cake she keeps referencing in the song is a euphemism, much like DNCE's Cake by the Ocean, if you know what I mean. In that song, I like that she says, I'm like Medusa exposed the beast in you. 
seems to reference two songs in one lyric of her own, Medusa and Beast. This song, actually, the title seems to nod to Sweet Like Honey by Teresa Ten, which is a song Joel Insane in 2017 at an award show. And she got mocked for people thought she was out of tune, so now she is the last laugh. The video, true to Jolyn, is unexpected to say the least. It tells the story of this girl who, she was almost killed by sharks when swimming in the ocean one day, but a dolphin came in and saved her. And ever since, she's grown up with an intense fondness for dolphins. She goes to this busy party one night and runs out of there to spend some quality time alone with a dolphin. But a bunch of angry people at a bar, maybe for like an after party, I think it's the same crowd that was at the other party anyway, they're at the bar and they find out that there is this dolphin nearby in that ocean. And they get this instinct to go kill the beast. Who knows why, but they do. They grab their spears and other weapons, climb aboard a ship, and sail out there. So they're trying to hit with a harpoon this dolphin that Jolin is swimming with. They eventually get the dolphin, but Jolin, I guess, won anyway. Months later, she shows back up to that same bar and basically starts having contractions on the floor in the bar. And eventually she gives birth to a human with a mermaid tail. So yeah, that happened. Romance is quite the mini-movie of a music video. Jolin plays a cop interrogating the suspect, but then she keeps flashing back to how she first got to know the suspect. She tried to get him to stop using illegal drugs, threatening that the minute she became an official cop, which was coming soon, he would be the first person she arrested. And so now that he has been arrested and she is officially a cop now, they worry if they can stay together. There are a lot of tears. It's really emotional. I really like the lyric where she says, basically, I need a blood red tattoo to get over you, and all you needed was a short text. Oof. The video for Hubby is one of my personal favorites of hers. The text on the beginning of the screen really sets the scene for you, saying, This video is in tribute to the fine classics of the 1980s. In this video, Jolyn plays this girl who spends her days at this restaurant watching their little TV, fawning over the lead actor in the movies. All while this chef is in the kitchen and he peeks through a window from time to time to just see Jolyn, to watch her enjoy these movies. And occasionally he comes up to her with tissues or just to watch alongside her. He's just kind of always there. This fairy godmother shows up. Again, yeah, she's full of unexpected twists in her videos and uses magic to poof the actors from the TV out into the real world. So Jolyn gets to see her celebrity crush in the flesh. Long story short, things don't work out. The godmother's advice is, remember who's been here the whole time. You already found your hubby, you just didn't know it. And then we see the flashback where she remembers all those times that chef was there for her and watching her and just crushing over her. And they end up together. It's really sweet. And what's extra sweet is when they do, he admits he never even needed to work there. He's the son of the Hong Kong Barbecue Trade Union chairman. He's rich. He's from a rich family. It's not like he needed the money. He just worked there because he wanted to see her every day. It's so cute. The Karma video I love. She continues to nod towards her previous releases, which I always appreciate. She has a lyric about... Watches the butterfly becomes a queen bee, butterfly being a previous son of hers. She references Beast again, see how the sheep 
fights back against the beast. The lyrics naturally talk about karma. Some of my favorites include, these bits of heartache, the interest is not enough to pay. It's kind of a play on words there. The interest, as in the debt you're accumulating, is not enough to pay, as in you need to pay for this, what you did, but it's not enough interest for you to be paying right. Then she says, we'll see the humor of destiny. Later, she says, you finally can have the nightmares you gave me. And here's what I think is my favorite. Witness the weak tears reincarnate into diamond fists. That kind of summarizes her whole discography about witnessing weak tears, but they reincarnate into diamond fists. They're dazzling, they're a spectacle, a sight to behold, but her videos also have this inner core of toughness after having gone through a lot. And long story short, the video basically goes from her being the hostage to the one calling the shots. Lady in Red is a really fun but creepy mini-movie of sorts which actually was named after the girl in a Taiwanese horror film, The Tagalon, from 2015. Lady in Red was nominated for Best Music Video at the GMAs, by the way. The lyrics are deceptively misleading. They very much just sound like childlike lyrics. It's like a little kid asking questions because she likes the color red. Why is Mona Lisa's hair not red? Why is coffee not red? Why are the apples red instead of blue? Just questioning why things are or are not the color red. But her intense obsession with the color red here may have a darker meaning, especially since she's nodding to a horror film about the little girl in red. There is this superstition that if you pass away while you're wearing red, your soul will basically eternally be this evil spirit. So that seems to be what she's alluding to. Then she talks about red being representative of her, a flame, fresh blood, the tears that make your eyes red, and at the very end, it's really funny because she whispers a line kind of under her breath, so you could actually probably miss it very easily. After she says, I like it red one more time, she whispers, you're effing dead. And it's just such a funny deadpan finale to the song that corresponds with a brutal, gory end of a video, which tells the story of her and a sister who's so jealous of her that she kisses Jolyn's fiancé in the video, and Jolyn confronts her about it later in private, and the sister throws Jolyn's words back at her. So while Jolyn's saying, how could you betray me as a sister, I gave you everything, the sister turns it around and says, yeah, you were giving me everything all these years. Whenever I expressed interest in something you had, whenever I needed support or help, you gave it to me. Now it's my turn to have something and give it to you. I had this first. She admits that actually she'd been dating Jolyn's fiancé way before that one encounter Jolyn noticed. Yeah, it's quite a reality show situation only with darker humor. I won't spoil the ending, but given the last lyric, I think you know how this ends. There was this really interesting puzzle of sorts you had to solve to understand the story, to get what the music video would be about and piece together the lyrics and message. You had to solve all these clues. One story short, they involved all sorts of pictures, Google images, Google Drive, emailing this address, decoding word scrambles, inserting certain codes so that a website would not just say protected anymore. It would actually pull up a real working web page. Hyperlinks. It was basically this big online scavenger hunt that led you to realizing this is a story about a wedding where everything goes wrong. Last song with a video from Ugly Beauty that we get to talk about, Womanly. 
W-O-N-N-X-L-Y, which, by the way, won Song of the Year at the GMAs. In this album overall won seven nominations. The music video features this really cool outdoor choreography that takes up multiple levels of this parking garage. It's a big group performing, but it's also subgroups that come together at different points. She references the Rose Teen, the Rose Boy again. She talks about the world is sinful, you're not. You're not guilty, don't be sorry. I wish I could hug you, tell you'd really, really be free. The most beautiful roses have the sharpest thorns. Definitely a reference to Rose Boy there. A life in rosy hues shall be the cold dish of revenge. We serve the haters. So many sins caused by ignorance. Keep blooming with the vivid legend. We will never, ever forget. Really powerful song with a really cool video. I think a big pivotal moment that shaped who Jolyn is today is from the GMAs in 2007, when she won Best Mandarin Female Singer, and critics really blasted her. They viewed it as, she's not that talented of a vocalist, what are you doing? So much backlash that the jury actually had to issue a statement defending their choice and saying they gave it to her for, quote, all-around talent and hard work, basically saying we didn't give it to her for being the best vocalist per se, but for being a great performer. Really just intense criticism. And I think that was a big formative moment for her. This music critic, Wayne Su Shao, credits Jolin Tsai's success in part with her vocal range and the different levels of emotion she can switch between. And she always does. She mixes rapping with more hushed, whispering tones, with more aggressive vocals. She has quite a unique range and a unique voice, period, and people weren't expecting that. And I think through being beaten down by all this criticism for decades now, for being Madonna-like in the sense that she's very in control of her image, confident about herself, promoting things that go against social norms and expectations, putting herself really out there, being so vulnerable in her work, I would argue the stuff she's criticized for is often really good reasons to get criticism. She's really trying to do a lot of good in the world and is pushing conversations forward that I really think are important. And I think moments like that are what come to her mind probably when she sings songs about being torn down, but those traumas nourish me, as she said. They fed my desire to do better. They fueled me. It's so weird for someone who's so successful to also constantly be attacked by critics who view her work as just not worthy of this success. But the reasons critics don't like it are the reasons why it resonated with me, and it resonates with so many others, because it is unconventional, it's really fresh and new. She constantly finds very fun and interesting in cinematic ways to tell stories that a lot of other artists do too, about love, self-loathing, very relatable topics, but in her very unique way, and in a new way that's more fun it makes the heavy subject matter more digestible. Her social commentary is just delivered with such a fun flair, and I think Jolyn herself summed it up best with this quote. Pop singers should challenge pre-existing concepts and lead audiences to accept new genres of music. Madonna's works were controversial and somewhat critically panned when just released, but after years they were considered masterpieces, unquote. Doesn't that sum it up? ahead of her time. Think about it, a lot of the stuff Madonna did that really enraged people are pretty normal now. Women in pop music are much more comfortable 
showing that they're confident about how their body looks, for example. And Jolin hopes to emulate that trailblazing. So in sum, Jolin went from a high schooler winning a singing competition to selling out arenas decades later. It took years of constant dedication to her craft, to performing, and she continues to reinvent her style and prove she can maintain success and praise even when changing things up. She's been everything from a pirate to a butterfly to the girl next door to Dr. Jolin to Cinderella to a beast to a person with evil powers to a disgruntled bride to a Sims-type character to a prisoner to a judge to a warrior to a woman who gave birth to a fish to a character in an 80s rom-com to a relatable down-on-her-luck person. I mean, she has just run the gamut and then some. She doesn't just run the gamut, she makes it and expands it. She just keeps playing a new role. Every comeback from her is so new, and you never know what to expect. Incredible, well-produced cinematic music videos, catchy yet really meaningful, important songs, and all, again, with a fun flair. It's hard to pin down exactly where in her discography to start, because I love so many of the songs so much. But I will say the real fun dance pop songs are Dr. Jolin and Play and I'm Not Yours. The really funky, kind of creepy in a cool way songs are Miss Trouble and Gentlewoman. Muse is one of my all-time favorites, as is, of course, Ugly Beauty. And even her ballads are, there's something very unique about them and rich about the instrumentals. Very layered music very layered music video universe, endless fun, and layers to unravel. Both eye candy and ear candy, I can't say enough good things about her. So if you're wondering what's she up to now, her latest release was with a DJ rehab, Stars Align, which is a bop. Aside from that, since the Ugly Beauty tour wrapped up, she's been a little quiet, but she's probably working on something. She always is. And when she does release her next project, I will definitely be excitedly ready to promote it on this show. So thank you, Joel and Sai. Personally, I'd like to say thank you because your music not only really touched me, but touched so many other people, I think, and is really doing, sending important messages into the world. Thank you for using your fame for good. Thank you for helping girls like myself feel more confident and ready to embrace our multitudes and take on the world. And just thank you for being you and sharing your wonderful self and your artistry. That's all for today's episode. Thank you everyone for listening as always. Talk to you all again very soon.